This is Rugger Matrix International, episode 164, Not Without a Fight. Welcome to the world's most quoted rugby podcast. This week, Stephen Hoyles, former Brumby, former Waratah, talks about their grudge match this week. It's probably fair to say that in the time playing for both teams, the Brumbies probably hate the Waratahs more than the Waratahs hate the Brumbies. Hoyles has been dogged by an Achilles problem for years. Now he's taking one last shot at the game he loves. It's going to be a, a lot of work to get back and play at that le- and, and get up to that level again, but um, I'm, I'm confident that if my Achilles allows me, I'll be able to, yeah. Rugger Matrix International is brought to you by Strike, Australia's leading provider of Bluetooth car kits and other awesome in-car devices. Go to strike.com.au and enter the code RUGGERMATRIX to get 10% off. Hello and welcome to episode 164 of Rugger Matrix International. I'm your host, Juro Sendo. Mark Cashman again today. He's busy preparing for the Lions series. He needs about 100 days to get ready. So I thought I'd get a pretty special guest and sharp operator in. And it's a good mate from the Waratahs and the Brumbies and now working his way back from injury. And here he is, Stephen Hall. Stephen, welcome to the show. Thanks, Juro. How are you? Yeah, very good. Good to see you. Now, you walked in here on crutches. Uh, can we briefly just uh, bring people up to speed where you are at the moment? Because you've had this uh, Achilles issue and it's really dogged you the last couple of years, but you haven't given up hope of playing again. Well, no, I just uh, I had an operation about back end of 2010 um, and basically I've been out pretty much ever since. I, I had a couple of games early 2011, but it wasn't right. Um, so since then I've got close to getting back and I get to about 80, 90% and something, something in there just wasn't right. So I... Um, basically explored our options and it led me to a, a Professor Alfredson in Sweden of all places. How did so, you find him? Uh, I'd heard of him like when you read a lot of the, the journals on, on the type of injury I had which is like a insertional tendonitis right down in my yeah. heel um, and then I'd spoken to a fair few physios and doctors and specialists and basically um, I then got a call from Matt O'Connor who's coaching in Leicester, oh, yeah. old Brumby's yeah. backs coach of mine. He, um, he said they had a lot of problems with their players and this Swedish folk comes down every six weeks so I got in touch with their doctor, Cal Palmer, who, who spent a bit of time at the Brumbies as well, before my time. And um, long story short, I, I got in touch with this professor and then it was an option of going to Sweden and London. Um, just worked out financially a bit, a bit cheaper to do it in Sweden, in his hometown, a place called Umeå, which is uh, <laughs> about four hours north of Stockholm. So it was about 11 flights and 11 days to get there and back. Went with my old man and we hopefully um, got to the bottom of it, but uh, on crutches for another couple of weeks and we'll see how we go over the next month or two. Oh, that's great news. I might just come in just a bit uh, to the middle, mate. That'd be great, perfect, so we can all see you. Uh, Stephen, before we talk about your story in depth, because I think it's an interesting one, it's one about not giving up, and I uh, also want to talk to you about Randwick quickly too, because uh, you know it's my local club yep. and you live down the road as well. But um, the Super Rugby game of the week has got to be the Waratahs with the Brumbies. You played for both teams. I think there's a bit more hatred coming back, and that's how we love it. I think with Michael Checker there, there's going to be a little bit more hatred. <laughs> I played under him at Randwick, and yep. there's a, a lot of passion in his style of coaching. It's probably fair to say that in the time playing for both teams, the Brumbies probably hate the Waratahs more than the Waratahs hate the Brumbies. I think the Waratahs traditionally view the Reds as their main number one rivals, but with the success of the Brumbies in the short term since they started, I think it's swayed back to being maybe hopefully their number one rival now for the Waratahs should be the Brumbies I feel so um, yeah I'd like to see those games with a fair bit of fire the only there used to be one game a year now there's two but um, having said that you get a home and away against each state um, they're they're pretty interesting games and I just hope that they're they're free-flowing because traditionally they're bogged down and 
I love seeing the Kiwi derbies when there's, you know, the ball thrown from side to side and there's points and there's line breaks. Um, but I know down there, like George Smith coming back for the Brumbies um, up against Michael Hooper, Checkers first game versus, versus the Brumbies. It's a big game and there's um, a hell of a lot at stake. So early in the competition, the Brumbies have skipped off to a little bit of a lead in that conference. Um, it's very important the Waratahs are not only competitive but try and take some points out of that game. When we spoke to Jake White a couple of weeks ago, and you obviously know him, he wanted to bring back the Brumbies of old, and that was the team that sort of set the trend, that became uh, trendsetters in the competition, and we all go way back with the Brumbies, how the movement in the line-out, all those sorts of little things that the world of game has now followed. What do you think has to happen with the Brumbies now? Do they do they go back to that continual recycle of ball? What they, because they've been sort of struggling with that identity, and then you sort of work through the tough times there. What do you think they're trying to do? I think the, the toughest times for the, the Brumbies, and, and my first year there was 2007, that was Gregan and Larkham's last mm. year. Um, start of 2008, we had like a sit-down Saturday where we goal-setting type of the day, and one of the biggest points was trying to life after, you know, Greggs and, and Bernie Larkham, and, um, you know, sat there and wrote a whole heap of things on paper of where there was pros and cons of them going, but I really think there was a two or three-year hangover period without them. I think for so long the Brumbies relied on people like that, not just their their ability on the field, but the amount of time they put in off the field to thinking of the way the game was played. Mm. When you think back to their their glory days, and it was the likes of Gregan, Larkham, Kafer, Mortlock, these type of guys that would you know literally sit there and study rugby. Mm. You know they took it so seriously. Um, it wasn't just natural ability on the field. They were, they were deep thinkers of the game, and I think they lost that in the last couple of years. Having Larkham back as a, as an assistant coach has been a, a a wonderful thing for the club. Having Laurie Fisher come back. As an assistant coach, in my opinion, he was um, he was a little bit of a hamstrung head coach, and I say that in a way is he wasn't. Um, I, I just find he's a much better assistant coach because you tend to see assistant coaches coach on a regular basis. They're educators, whereas head coaches have to sit back and they've got to tell players they're not in the team. They've got to go through all that other stuff. A lot more mm -hmm. media commitments. Laurie's an out and out coach, and he's a good hands on coach. So I feel they've got probably two of the best assistant coaches in the comp the guys that are running the program mm. from day to day. And you've got Jake up there who is the figurehead who has the, the confidence and the, you could almost say the arrogance to, to get the things out of the club that he wants. And the, the money they've put into the program in the last couple of years is evident. They've, they've spent a lot of money on the facilities, on the nutrition, just making it a, a better program for players to be at. And I got a, a slight touch of that before I left due to this injury. Um, and the program was dramatically better than what I'd seen in the, the previous three years. So. I think they're on the, on the right track, and, and then you throw in the likes of Rathbone, who's back there now. He's a thinker of the game. George Smith, well, he's not really a thinker, he's just a doer. <laughs> he's a doer. Um, and he's the best in the world <laughs> yeah. at it. But having said that, they've got, a, they've got a perfect balance now, I think, of a bit of experience, which they lacked last year, and, and the youth of Lee Farno and Tamur and, and these types. Throw in a Stephen Moore, who's you know, the most consistent hooker in the world. I think they've got the, the ability to be a really good side the next year or two. I tipped them with Mark Cash when we did our season previews as being team to beat. I think the Reds will still be there because well, you know how Ewan operates, a pragmatic coach and and he would go to the Brumbies and he'd realise you don't take on the Brumbies the way the Brumbies play and it was always successful but geez, Stephen, they were terrible games to watch and it seemed like it was the only way to beat the Brumbies. Can the Waratahs beat the Brumbies without playing the world's most boring game of rugby? Yeah, I think they can. I think the the last couple of games you've seen from the Waratahs, they've gone really well when they've been down by 10, 15 mm. points. 
and I, you, you keep reading all the stuff from the coaches saying they've got to stop thinking about the scoreboard. That's an easy thing to say. It's a hard thing to do, you know. But as a player, when you see you down by 15 points, it's almost it is a it is a feeling where okay, we've got nothing else to lose. We've got to go for it now. Mm. I think it's going to take a little bit of time for for Checker and Gaffney and uh, Gibson to get into the heads of the players to actually just play the style of footy that that is successful for them and. That back end of the game on the weekend against the Rebels, it, the ball, I haven't seen the Waratahs keep the ball alive. There was offload no, it was after offload. It? it was different, and it was wet conditions as well. Mm. So, um, Have I, they got the skills to do it? Uh, I think they've got, they showed in the last you know, 20, 30 minutes against the Rebels, they do. But having said that, I think the, the, the Brumbies' defence will be a step above from mm. what the Rebels was. So um, the one thing I, I, I hope for the Waratahs and their fans is that if it doesn't work this week, you know, I'm pretty confident with the, the personnel and the coaching staff that I mentioned. I think they'll persevere with it as opposed to you see traditionally a couple of losses when you're throwing the ball around tends to let coaches or fear coaches into pulling the you know well, that's what they want from the fans yeah. okay look can you see it happening is there enough there so far after a couple of games that fans could say oh yeah it's starting to happen I think so I think the comeback was one example from last weekend yeah I think it is and I think if you look at Checker he's come into a squad uh, he's been given a 95% of his squad I think the only signing he made was Mitchell Chapman due to injury with Damien yeah. Fitzpatrick. So he's, he's made one sign in for the season. Um, and punted a few extras in the back room. <laughs> exactly, yeah. He's cleaned up the, the offices yeah. and whatnot. I think there's, you, you, as a Waratah fan, you can't expect the first year coach to, to get everything right with the squad mm. that he inherited. So I think that that in itself makes a coach think, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to make changes and it's who's going to be on board. They're either with him or they're not. Um, so I think he's going to persevere with this style of footy and he's not going to stop until he gets it the way he wants it. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I really enjoyed the way that they're having a go, but I think they, we had um, Riff in here, Alan Gaffney, and he, I said, you, are you going to nail your colours to a mask with a fly half? And I think they wanted to with Foley, but I don't know if they're quite right yet. But that's the key thing, isn't it? They're 9 and 10, and you said it yourself, Stephen Larkham and uh, George Gregan leaving the, uh, the Brumbies is a, big, is a big issue for them. But that's your core of your attack, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's, and I think, um, well, even 9, 10, 12, like, I think the way they're trying to play, and you can see by bringing mm. on, uh, is it, how do you pronounce his last name? Volavola? Volavola, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think by bringing him on late in the games, you can see it's, they're trying to get three playmakers on the field. And yeah. Berwick's back this week. Um, Berwick is traditionally, I've always viewed as a bit more of a test footballer. I don't know, it's, you know, it's not criticising the guy. Um, I think he's just got such good control in his game. Mm. But I really, I like Foley's um, spontaneity. I like the yeah. fact how he just, he sees something, he chases it. Um, you know, and I'll have a shot at Sydney Uni here. He's not a typical Sydney Uni player. Yeah, you know, yeah, he sort yeah. of he plays on instinct, which is good, and I think that's what the Waratahs need. Um, they had a run in halfback last year with Sorrell Pretorius, and that didn't work out. Um, McKibben's a runner, he's a kicker, he's a tough little bugger. It's going to take a while for that combination to, to work well, but look, again, those guys are playing for their futures and they know it more than anyone. So, um, yeah, I hope that they can sort of nut down that 9 and 10 combination. Unlike a man from Randwick to give Sydney Uni a hard time, but uh, we'll take it here on this show. Um, Stephen, so the, the thing about them playing well uh, with Israel Folau, a convert from the three codes, and it's hard for the people who watch overseas, and this is the uh, majority of our audience, to understand what this means. It's sort of like coming from uh, baseball to uh, basketball to play rugby. There are a lot... There's a lot of difference between the AFL and playing this game. It's an extraordinary comeback. I actually think they shouldn't have played him at fullback. Fullback is like your next pivot position that you use from fly half. Like yeah. It's really important, that, that role. I think um, there was some word about wing being too difficult. I can't believe that. Like, I think wing would have been a good starting point for him. 
I'd, I've always heard that as well, that wing's actually a harder position to learn, position, like the positional player. Well, see, I think it's because you need the discipline to use your tram tracks. Yeah. And I think outside that, it, yeah. Anyway, what I, do you think? Well, I kind of, I like the fact that he has been picked at fullback because it's a, it's a statement from the organisation or the coaches or what, whatnot that they want him involved. That, mm. you know, he's, he's the marquee player in the club. He's, he's got everyone talking about the Waratahs again. And you've seen from the likes of, you know, we saw Wendell and Lottie go and Matt Rogers when mm. he was out in the wing, although he spent most of his time at fullback. He always wanted to play. He wanted his hands five, on the ball. For 5-8. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he wanted to be a, yeah. a ball player. Yeah. And, and I think you find for so long we were like, we wanted to see Wendell and Lottie with the ball. If you're at fullback, you get the ball. Mm. It's a it's a sure way to get. But there's the, a responsibility with that as well, isn't it? Yeah, there is. I, I just I view it. You're as not just running the ball back. No, you've you, got you've got commitments and you've got mm. positions you've got to be in and you've got plays you've got to link up to and you've got to work hard off the ball. But I view it as a as a statement from the organisation that yeah, fair you enough. know we're going to throw him in the deep end. We think he's up to it. Um, his trial form certainly suggested it was. Mm. Um, but then again, I think it might work out well that he you know plays the first. I like there's talk about these volleyball starting, but. I think if you've got a player that you can bring off the bench to give you impact, you, mm. you almost keep that. I'd almost say keep easy on for 50 at fullback and then let Walla Walla come on and let him learn two positions in each game. So he's played two games now in Super 15 and he's hopefully he's getting the feel of both wing and fullback. Yeah, it's a tempting thing, isn't it? I mean, a player does really well off the bench and then you start him yeah. and it goes to hell in a handbasket yeah. because it's so much different taking the blows from a starting. Remember when um, Chris Whitaker, a good friend of ours, yeah. And um, Sam Payne, they played a brilliant game together. Wits would take the hard blows for the first half, then then uh, Payne would come on and carve up. Yeah, you know it was a really good way of managing the team. So, I guess you need to look at your twenty-two in a different way. I know Ewan was always keen to look at the twenty-two in yeah. that way. I probably didn't realise it until you look back on things, and I've had a couple of years of not playing to think about it a lot. And I think my first few years at the Waratahs was mainly playing off the mm. bench, and I and as frustrating as it was, I think. You've always Mate, got to, you had a fantastic impact off the bench. But, and you've always got to try and put the mm. team in front of you. But as a young guy, you're so yeah. determined to get to that next level and you think, if I'm only getting 20 minutes, I'm not getting this. But um, it takes a good coach. And Ewan was one of those mm. that sort of just identified the plan to you and told you that there's a, you know, there's a reason why you're on the bench and it's it's to give the team the best amount of impact. And, and to be fair to him, like you know, you'd have to say that most of the time he was right. He was pretty spot on. He, he does pick the 22 very well. And I am now a believer in, you know, the, if this... If Vola Vola is is having such a good impact off the bench and he's he's young, he's new to it, I'd keep him there for another six weeks and just see how things go. Bar an injury, like he might be forced to play him, but you, you certainly don't want to have you want to ha- have a bench where you're com- comfortable throwing them on with 20, 30, 40 to go. Um, you, you don't want to have a bench where you're hesitant and I, and oh, I can't play him because he's only played 10 minutes here and there. As a as a coach and in this competition, I think you've got to be really confident with your 22. So. Um, and that's what, again, I think probably Ewan does that very well. What do you think about the Lions series coming up? Actually, before I ask about the Lions series, what do you think about the rest of the competition so far? You talked about the local derbies in New Zealand, and they've been extraordinary. The Chiefs have shown, minus Sonny Bill, that they've still got it. And uh, I know that uh, Big Dave, the coach, was uh, still filthy that they only beat the Cheetahs by 42 points or something. <laughs> he well, I, I backed really... Overs in that game, so I was a bit disappointed <laughs> myself. We needed eight more points, I think. But... Well, well, you know... The New Zealand derbies have been outstanding. And I know they throw the footy around, but they still play it tough. They've got this unique com- combination of tough forward play, exciting back play, and still that great contest at the tackle. It frustrates Australian rugby fans to all end, doesn't it? The fact well, they turn on that? a 5.30 game. Is that game. a cultural thing? Is it a toughness thing? What yeah, I think it? it's a fair bit of both. I always felt that in a lot of um, our derbies that there was 
so much at stake. Sometimes early decisions from refereeing can hamper the, the flowing of the game. Mm. Um, not to say the referees are the, the cause of it. They cop enough flack. But um, I do find the Kiwi games, they generally open up from the... The intent of the players is certainly different. Yeah. There's almost, um, if you describe it, I almost say there's a, there's a desire to win as opposed to a fear of failure. And yeah. I think sometimes here... Um, especially in the past in teams like the, the Waratahs and the amount of scrutiny they get in Sydney, yeah. there is a fear of failure there because every they know that, they talk about it every year as a team, they, they know that if they lose a game, two games, three games, they're going to be hounded, the crowds are down. In New Zealand, I don't think they have that type of pressure. It's their number one game. It stands clear and above rugby league over there. That, whereas here, I think there's so much pressure to, as I said, a couple of losses and no one's talking about you or you're getting dropped. And mm. So I think that the... Um, you know, the style of footy the Kiwis played, it's, it's, it's bizarre to then see us compete with the All Blacks on a regular basis, <laughs> knowing that sometimes our derbies are, are so different to yeah. their derbies. But the Kiwis in, in general, like I, a couple of weeks ago, again, thought the Crusaders would look really strong. But I'm now leaning towards the sides like the Highlanders, the Blues, the Chiefs. Again, like they only, they're missing Sonny Bill Williams. But the difference with the Chiefs and the, the Crusaders is that the Chiefs have a very young squad mm. with a lot of young All Blacks. The Crusaders tend to be probably their senior players. Senior All Blacks are probably at the back end of their careers. Yeah. So I think the Chiefs, you know, I'd still probably look at them as, as genuine title contenders. I know they'd be thinking the same way. I like what uh, Sir John Kerwin's doing with the Blues. Uh, I said a couple of weeks ago on the show that, you know, the competition is always better if Auckland does well. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they seem to have a bit more discipline this year. And that win over the Crusaders shouldn't be understated, should it? It was a bloody good effort. Yeah, it was a phenomenal second half yeah. as well. But uh, again, the Crusaders are a little bit slow starters, yeah. traditionally. They'll be there. Yeah, end. they will be. But um, the thing with the Blues is that they've always shown glimpses of being some of the mm. one of the best teams in the comp. And every, co- every year, maybe not last year, at some stage you think, geez, the Blues are going to be good. And yet they speared the Brumbies in the yeah. last game of the year. Exactly. So they just need, um, I think, Kerwin's biggest battle will just, to, to, like any, any coach obviously, will just be... To, to make sure they can put that performance against Crusaders or similar performances out every week. Mm. So um, it's very open, the New Zealand Conference. Uh, surprising effort by um, the force. Uh, I, actually I really like the guys over there, but I reckon they're going to struggle to win a game this year. It's just going to be so tough for them because they've lost so much talent and they're trying to change things there. Uh, but it was a pretty good effort against the Bulls to lead the Bulls on the high felt Go on and, and do all right against them. But as soon as it became a forward battle, there's only one team that's going to win that. That's always the tradition. I've always thought that's probably the hardest away game to win uh, mm. against the Bulls in Because if they get on top, they yeah. absolutely annihilate the Bulls. Yeah, they are. They are. <laughs> um, and I, I, I was surprised. I watched the game. and I, The frustrating thing for the Force is they've got to buy this week. I reckon, mm. although they've travelled back, it's only from Africa to Perth. It's not as far as what we normally mm. travel. But if I was a Force player coming off that loss, I'd be so pitching to play. Yeah. And I think the buy's coming to... They'll, you, they'll, you'll hear them say the boys come to a great mm. time, rest bodies, all that sort of stuff. But if I was a player and I know we came so close, that disappointment, that would be fueling me. I'd be yeah. so keen to play. So it'd be really interesting since I think they play the, the Reds next week away. Yeah. So still another tough game for their, their rebound game. But I, I, going into that game, I thought they were going to really struggle this year. Haven't seen that game. Well, um, you know, maybe things will turn around for them. And yeah, maybe when they get the Shetland Pony back. Brett Schoen. A bit of anger back yeah. in the squad. Yeah. Um, I rang him a couple of weeks ago. He took the call in a, in a car wash. Car wash? Yeah. So Inside? Uh, yeah, he was in the car wash. Injured place. Mate, I'm things. in the car wash. And then he continued to talk to me. and I couldn't hear a thing. Was always... Actually, he won't be that angry anymore. He's a dad now. Oh, yeah. He's 
calm. Angry dad. Yeah, no, he's a calm dad, yeah. <laughs> All right, and now the Lions. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be involved with the uh, back room in 01. It was a wonderful series, and uh, it was um, it was just so huge. It was just huge. It was as big as a World Cup, because I think you actually had more intensity around the host team, because the World Cup comes out, and if you're hosting it, yeah, you're, you're the interest for one game, mm. but then there's so many other things happening. So it sort of spreads it a bit. When it's the Lions, four nations playing against one and you know 40,000 people touring the country, it's just so big. Do you think um, the Australia can get it together in time to take them on? Because if England form the basis of that team, geez, they're going to be tough to beat. Yeah, I think traditionally, like if you look at our test record under Robbie Deans, he's, he's obviously struggled against the All Blacks for a long period of time, but done very well against the UK side so um, and that's up there you know we go up there every year and we play these guys so it's harder to play them up there um, the Six Nations champs Welsh the Welsh came out last year and we beat them 3-0 in a you know it was it wasn't 3-0 sounds like we flogged them but it was a close series we, we were obviously better than them but uh, I think we can get it together you'd hope we can get it together it seems that they are used doing everything they can taking players out and having camps and, and trying to get a little bit more prepared. I think you have to do that. Are you supp- obviously, the clubs are blowing up. The provinces are blowing up about that three-week re- three phase. As a player, would you say, no, no, I want to play for my province and then play for the Lions, risk injury? What's what's your standpoint? Yeah, I, th- I think it's depends on what stage of their career they're at, to be honest. You've got players that are probably, I'd, I'd assume, say, a Michael Hooper's, you know, keen mm. to play every single game of every single week. That's just the nature of being a young guy that's, just had a sniff of it all, um, but then I, I'd only speak on my behalf. I'd I'd like to play. I'd hate to be sitting down in a hotel room watching my team lose a Super 15 game, knowing that I could have been there helping. And essentially, um, but it's, it's it's an incredibly tough call from from either side. And I I, I did recently speak to Michael Checker about, it and I think he said something in the paper about it. It was basically, you know, you're not going to convince the coaches that it's the right, the state coach that's the right thing to do. Just from, from Robbie's point of view, back yourself and take accountability for, des- for your decision. So um, I think that's what it comes down to. It's it's going to be, well, and you do read if sides are still el- eligible for the, the top part of the, or the playoffs, then they're, they're going to get a bit of um, dispensation. So, but as a player, I'd probably be a little bit, uh, you're never guaranteed test selection, are you? And playing no. Super 15 is a way of trying to get yourself in that test side. So I'd probably rather be playing. Having missed two and a half years, I'd be happy to play anywhere, Jura. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, we're going to find out just after the break uh, what Stephen's been through to get uh, back on his feet and why he's got a pair of crutches here. Rugger Matrix is proudly brought to you by the good rugby folk at strike.com.au. Go there and you'll get 10% off your next reversing camera, Bluetooth car kit or other accessory. It's all about safe driving, no texting while driving. That's what Bronco and Casho say. So visit strike.com.au, enter the code Rugger Matrix and you'll get 10% off. All right, welcome back, and thanks to our friends at Strike. Don't forget to check them out at strike.com.au. With Stephen Hoyles, who is uh, here after undergoing surgery um, for his uh, problem Achilles. Now, can you take us back to the injury, when it happened, and where this journey has taken you? Yeah, I basically played the whole 2010 season. I think I played every minute but 10 in the Super 15, so it wasn't an injury that was keeping me out of games. I then went into the, uh, the the 30-man Wallaby squad and had two midweek games versus England, and I think a bit of doubling up training sessions. You know when they're tr- trying to run yeah. two teams, you're training with the 
wallabies you, you're defending against and then you're playing that next couple of days. That was a bit of an increase in training load. And I, I had a bit of a, what they said was a bone spur or something that was restricting my range in my foot. It wasn't too painful, but I suggested, it was sort of recommended that I, I get a bit of a clean up, which was meant to keep me out for 12 weeks. So long story short, it's been, um, ever since this operation, there's been something that hasn't been right. I've tried to come back 2011, had a couple of quarter zones, um, things I've since learned is, is probably the last thing you should do yeah. with an Achilles tendon, but um, you know you do anything to get on the park each week. So um, went missed all of 2011 after playing one game, knew it wasn't right, and then left the Brumbies at the end of 2011, basically because of this. There was fears that I wouldn't be right. Um, spent a bit of time back at the Waratahs early 2012 and got got really close to playing. I had about eight weeks of training there, and it was. Uh, probably about a week away from playing. I was, felt like I was ready to go um, and then s sort of flared it up again. And a lot of the things that were, were happening, you couldn't quite piece together in a puzzle. It, was, it wasn't a typical case of Achilles tendonitis. So uh, I saw a lot of specialists and spoke to a lot of surgeons and um, I, I just sort of found that there was no, and I'm not trying to offend anyone here, I just found there was no real tendon specialist yeah. in surgery. There were some great people in physio and rehab and I saw those and they were, they were helpful. But... For some reason, that there was a there was a tiny bit of pain or a tiny bit, an area where I was getting quite a large amount of pain. I was going to ask you, how does it manifest itself? I mean, what what are you talking about? How do you know there's a problem? What's well, basically, I had a, a, a pain about the size of five cent, ten cent coin on the back of my heel after the operation that I never had prior to the operation. Yeah. The thing in the operation was meant to clean up the range of movement in my foot, which it did. Are we talking a sharp pain here? Yeah, a sharp yeah. pain. And if I did a bit too much, I'd probably get a little bit of like a little ball of swelling in the back of my heel, and it wasn't. A classic case of tendonitis so anyway I, I spoke to a lot of people and I did a lot of I did everything I could in terms of rest and rehab and trying to build up the sort of muscles around my feet and things like that I, I took so much time I basically took two years trying to get that right thinking that I've had surgery it didn't work um, and then I sort of was put in touch with a, this guy Hacken Alfredson a Swedish surgeon who uh, who himself he basically if you look through all the research he's probably one of the world's leading tendons um, Achilles tendons did I have other players gone to him? Uh, well, a heap of players up north. As soon as I walked into yeah. surgery last week, there was a heap of Leinster players and Munster right. players and European rugby players and a whole heap of soccer players. Robin McEwen had been there, the oh, players, okay. it's yeah. athletes from all around the world. He deals mainly in chronic cases. So if you snap your Achilles, you don't see this guy. You basically yeah. go and see other people. But um, I saw, I went up and saw him, and long story short, he, he identified a bit of bone in the back of the heel right where the pain was on ultrasound before the operation and, and no one had done that prior to this and maybe he did that he got me to be active before an ultrasound so he got me hopping on the spot till oh, I got okay. it till I aggravated it and then he ultrasounded it and he said yeah look um there's a bit of bone there have you been told that before i said no um so then the difference with the two surgeries the first one was like um keyhole either side you know they put cameras in they look on the computers mm. and they look through the cameras and they work at how they can there so there's a stitch either side in the last one so you walk out of there with two stitches and you feel fine. This one, he split me down the back, nine stitches, ripped me open. I was awake the whole time for this one. It was just all done on local. Yeah. Um, and while I couldn't feel the pain, I could feel the area. So I was sort of guiding him and I was like, I can feel where you are now. That's where a bit of pain is. And long story short, he just went in and I'm not, I'm not sure if it's, he's, he's quite confident that it will work um, and I'm optimistic, but um, I won't really know until I probably give it, try and run in about eight or 10 weeks. So yeah, it was um, a bit of a battle trying to work out how to do it. In the end, I just got, I got to the stage where I thought, if I don't go and do this now, I'll never know. So I just uh, hopped on a plane, about 11 flights in 11 days, and um, got there and back, and getting back was a bit of a, a journey, but uh, 
I'm here now and we'll, we'll give it a crack. It's a great story, Stephen. So we're not, just for the record, we're not talking a snapped Achilles here. It's totally different, isn't it? So yeah, it's... It, um, I mean, because of that, is it doubly frustrating? Because if it's snapped, you just got to go and find it and put it back on. Yeah, well, it's so... It's, the issue was so minute, like I couldn't actually pin... The, the time in Canberra, we couldn't pinpoint what it was. There was a time we thought it might have been a, a bone issue, so you got a bone scan, and they thought it might be... Um, some issues with some nerves in there so I went on basically like antidepressants that were sort of meant to calm the nerve pain down and mm. that just made me a zombie for a month like it didn't yeah. how'd you feel um i mean emotionally how did it make I you mean, feel it's been a, a really i could imagine this has been pretty been really, it's been really frustrating but at the same time it's any any injury and if i'm if i'm l lucky enough to get back and play it i'm i'm viewing it as a, an opportunity like a second chance so i'm certainly fresh with motivation i'm, I'm you know i'm so keen to play again and whatnot but yeah, you'd be, be lying if you said um, it was an easy ride and you just got to tough it out. Like, you know, it was hard and, um, you know, I just had to look at doing some other things and, and moving away from footy is a, a, a bit of a tough thing. I, I was involved with a bit of uh, coaching down at Ramwick last year, which, um, in all honesty, I probably didn't want to do this early in my... I mm. think you can only coach when you're dead keen to give the playing side away. So, you know, I was a frustrated player trying to coach a little bit. Um, and that was that was an experience. So it wasn't. It hasn't been. It hasn't been easy. And the main reason I actually went to Sweden was was if he cut me open and said, "Yep, yeah, it's a terrible looking tendon. We can't fix it." Um, I, at least now I've gone and seen the best in the world or one of the best in the world. I was told, and he's given me his answer, and I could probably finish. I could accept that. But um, I'm thankful I went there because, as I said, he was pretty confident that he found a few things there that he thinks is the reason why I'm getting some pain. And, and it's not. As I said, there's a little bit of floating bone about the size of a kid's tooth that he pulled out right in the sore spot, which was wow. unidentified back here. So if that's the if that's the 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 thing that's going to fix it, well, that's great. But um, if not, he's cleaned up a few other things that might help. So all right, so time on now to recovery, to you playing. Yeah, I'm really reluctant to put times on it now. I've missed so much. I, I think just because of the way the season is already, it's going to be hard to try and play any type of footy this year at a professional level. I might be able to play some club footy at the back end of the season. He's told me I should be jogging in about 12 weeks um, and you know, I've got a program to follow up until then. And if that's the case, then it might take me another four, six, eight weeks to get him fit after that. Um, but I will be cautious, haven't been out for you know close to three years. I won't be rushing these three months. Uh, how old are you now, Stephen? 31. So I look uh, 29. Hey, you look 29. Yeah. yeah. The best-looking 31-year-old I've ever seen. But, Stephen, uh, you, because of that, we all talk about your rugby years, don't mm. you? Your playing years. Because that it does, that pounding from week to week adds up. And you're pretty fresh in terms of that. And we always used to say, like, someone like Peter Hewitt, who started, you know, yeah. who had... was I see 43 now. Yeah, he's yeah. 43, but, he looks like, but his hair looks like yeah. he's... Actually, he's back in Australia uh, today yeah. as we record this, so we might get him on the show. Um, but you always talked about... <clears throat> those professional years of playing rugby, yeah. and so you've got a few up your sleeve. Well, I hope so, and, and that was probably the main reason why I couldn't accept retiring. And I never, a lot of people thought I had, and, yeah. I, and I'm probably fair to assume that I had, but I never sort of. Well, that's why I wanted to speak to you. I just wanted the people to know that you're still around and you're still keen yeah. to play. Yeah, and I just, you know, I certainly playing what about seven or eight years straight, get to the stage where you get some sore knees and ankles and necks and shoulders. But having this time off has been been really good. It's, it's going to be a, a lot of work to get back and play that and, and get up to that level again but um, I'm, I'm confident that if my Achilles allows me I'll be able to yeah. 
You were a great athletic um, back rower, and one of the things I really liked about your play, and I talk about it all the time, is hit and spin. You used to really kill that. And it's just a, such a simple manoeuvre when you're playing in contact, and it seemed to work so well for you. I think it was, um, some, I remember when I first went to Boratars and I was, you know, I was so light, I was about 89 kilos, <laughs> and I worked really hard to get up to like a weight of about 97, 98, and, and I think just being so light, I having to run certain lines um, just to avoid being killed really it was basically <laughs> I just had to find a way to get away from big it's players so, yeah points, like yeah. I wasn't necessarily hitting spinning and going forward I was just getting away from them and giving myself another chance so. but if you do it right it's a, it's a great technique close to the line to school yeah there's a couple of good um, exponents of it I always thought Neo Halanga who Dan Halanga's yeah. younger brother he's really good at it down at Ramwick and it's probably something that I remember back in my Colts days we used to muck around and doing and um, yeah over time I looked um, if I get the chance to play again, I'll try and throw it in for you. Uh, big Neo, I, I noticed on Twitter you've been tweeting some photos, <laughs> some, some G-up photos. Yeah, it's, all, uh, it's a bit of fun, that thing, isn't it? It's going to get us into trouble at, at you some You enjoy stage, Twitter? Uh, I do. I might try and cut back a little bit, though, now. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. Well, too much of a good yeah, thing? Yeah, I don't know. I just tend to just be sort of... You don't want to get sued. No, that's right. <laughs> very, tell a very fine line. Uh, so when you come back, um, where are you going to play? Prop? No, I wouldn't be a chance going up front. I think, if anything, I'll, I'll go further away from the forward pack if I can. I'd just, I'm not happy to play in the back row, of course. How, um, how close are 6, 7 and 8 need these days? Do you think they've changed a bit? Um, I think the difference with 7, you go back to the Lions series last time they were here, mm. and 7 was all about, number 7 was generally the, the main person on the ball. You know, it was always about number 7 being able to peel for the ball. This day and age, you know, there's a, at least 10 from each side that can do it and do it well. So um, I think seven was... Well, even wingers are doing yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, and that's that's what I think the Reds were so successful in 2011 was the fact that they had every player could tackle and get to their feet and not only steal the ball, if they couldn't, they could mm. slow the ball down. So competing for the ball is just... Um, that's probably it's everyone's responsibility It now, is, yeah. It? it honestly is. And you don't see players that can't do it on yeah. the field anymore because... Um, it's, as I said, it's not always about stealing the ball. It's a bit like the rugby league wrestle. If you can yeah. slow down that and give your defensive line a couple more seconds to get a bit of confidence and cohesion, then um, you've done, it's, been a, it's been a win for you. The opposition's trying to speed up their own ball and you're trying to slow it down. So that's the biggest battle. So in co comparing the difference, six, seven and eight, um, yeah, I don't think there's a, a huge difference anymore. I know that they probably prefer to have two out of those three jump in line-outs if mm -hmm. you can. But... Um, you still got there's that's that's what's so good about rugby. You can still have the short little guy like a Michael Hooper, the little pocket rocket, be on the field, and uh, he might play against a South African. You know their, their approach to number seven, although they wear number six, is actually you know completely different. Like a lot taller, a lot bigger. So um, I've never found a, a huge difference in the positions. I've tried not to get bogged down in thinking if you're playing six, seven, and eight. I think from first phase, it's it's a lot. There's obviously a lot stricter roles, but yeah. after that. Um, you know, it's, it's basically after two, three phases, you'd expect them all to be just, as a back row, traditionally, you want to be near the ball and, and being, whether it's a tackle defence, you want to be near the ball and, and basically being a pest if it's their ball and, and being a link if it's, it's your ball. Uh, mate, the other night on the Oscars, I sent a tweet out because, um, you know, the In Memoriam segment was on and I always think that's the most important thing because there's a wonder photo, wonderful photos about people who've passed during the year. Very soon, it's uh, going to be like four years since uh, a friend of ours and very, very good friend of you and Morgan Turanui, Sean Mackay, died on the trip uh, to South Africa in 2009. Um, I just thought we could take a moment just to remember him. I figure that's the best thing we can do to our, our friends who've 
who passed and is, is remember him. And he was a great guy. He played for Australian Sevens. He, he played the Waratahs uh, in, as part of the squad there, and uh, obviously the Brumbies. Uh, and um, you know, I'm going to put up a couple of shots of him that I took down there, uh, very very close uh, to him passing. But uh, I just thought a quick moment to say, you know, we're still thinking about Sean and what a tremendous guy he was, and what a great, just a great bloke to have around. Yeah, he was always a, a fun guy, and I think his story is pretty good too. You know, he, um, his father was a Roosters player, a Newtown player, successful rugby league player, and he grew up being a Roosters tragic. And he, he we went through to school together, and he, uh, he left school, and he, while well, we all sort of chased rugby, Sean he backed himself to go and have a go at league, and he, you know, certainly wasn't designed to play league, very tall and lean. Um, but he, he had a successful year. I think he won an under-20s comp with the Roosters. Um, spent a couple of years in their full-time squad and his story was always good because he spent a long time in the, the, the Roosters' full-time squad, a bit of time with the Waratahs. Um, he, he played really, really, really dominant for the Australian Sevens, but he, he, he wanted to play fifth, Super 15s. Mm. He had a bit of time in the Reds, um, played club rugby up there, um, and it wasn't until he got an opportunity from Andy Friend in, in Canberra and he at the age, I think, 26, you know, he only just played his first senior game. And most and most guys at that age, I know, especially around here, you know, trying to settle down and buy houses and all that stuff. And you know, he wasn't he wasn't earning big bucks. He was doing it tough to to get there. But he, you know, it was his it was his dream to play senior games of footy. So he he, he really he persevered, and it's it's bittersweet, you know. He played his first game two weeks before he passed away. He got two two games for the Brumbies, and then tragedy struck. But I think it's it's a good story for for young guys that are. At that age, in the crossroads, where you know, I, you know, I've got mates that are doing really well, and they're working in finance, and you know, he, I think he just—he was so keen just to persevere. It wasn't about money; it was just purely about his dream and, and, and reaching it. So, um, yeah, four years—it's gone really quick. It's, it's nice that you've you've done this, and uh, he's got a younger brother at Ramwick at the moment who's who's playing some good footy as well. So, tell us a bit about him. Uh, he's like a clone, to be honest. If you saw them running, what's his name? Matt McKay. Yeah. Um, he's had a couple of injuries himself, so he's. Um, He's had a couple of tough years with footy, but yeah, he's um, very similar to Sean, same sort of build, um, and he's probably going to be one of those players that hopefully, you know, if he, if he knuckles down and takes it serious enough, I think he, he could make a future out of footy. And I thought it was a wonderful moment for the game too, the way you'll, the Brumbies came together too. You know, they really handled it brilliantly, and uh, I know that the, the Mackay family appreciated it as well. Yeah, it was a, it was an extremely tough time. I, was, I wasn't in Africa, I was injured, so it was... Um, in a way, I sort of felt like I was uh, protected from the trauma that the guys went through. To be honest, like having having seen what they saw, it was it was from what I've been told pretty horrific, and um, it was much harder for those guys to deal with. Um, but then again, when you're not there, you feel helpless. So I was captain of a side that wasn't there. It was all, it was a very tough time, of course. But I thought the club handled it well. Like Andy Friend, that was that's one of his strengths as a coach at the time. I I thought he was pretty strong throughout it and, and the playing group, well, there's no other way to go really, to be honest, you wouldn't expect anything else. It was um, a tough few weeks, a tough few years for a lot of people, but um, yeah, look, the club got through and I know, and I know the, the good thing was there was guys down there that became really close with in a short period of time, like Matty Tamil, they were roommates. He was the youngest kid in our squad that had to deal with that, so um, it's taken a lot, a lot of time for those guys to get over it. Yeah. So, um, Stephen, we're thinking about you and all the good friends of uh, Sean Mackay uh, near the fourth anniversary of his death. And, uh, you know, uh, we have no problems in just acknowledging that uh, it was a good fellow to know and uh, it's important to remember Thanks, our friends mate. past. Stephen, thank you very much for coming in. Thanks, mate. I hope you discard those uh, 
crutches very, very soon. Uh, I'm a Roosters man in rugby league, by the way, and you're a mad Tigers fan. Our good friend Lottie Dekiri is out for a few more months. Do you think he'll make it back? Yeah, he's a Fijian. You don't know how old he really is. I think he's, he's probably got about 10 years left in him, wouldn't you say, Lottie? Yeah, yeah. Although, you know, that hair, he's going pretty bad up top, but he's holding on. Yeah, we're, we've all sort of got thinning issues from time yeah, to time. Yeah, Juro, so. conceded. Um, I'm fighting that fight myself, but... I don't know what's going on Phil War. He seems to be in the corporate <laughs> world, uh, just hamming it up a bit. Well, he's Seriously. probably... Uh, He's off the Asada list now, so he can probably take a few substances to get a bit of fitness back there, Phil. Did you have to be worried about it? Um, regain or Rogain? What's what that? The substances. I wouldn't know what it is, Jura. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Stephen, thank you for coming in. Uh, all the best with the recovery, and I hope we'll catch up with you when back on the horse. Also, mate, are you going to do more stuff with Brandwick? Not in a formal capacity, okay. no. My position there was I'd, I wanted to play, and yeah. so I know I can't play again. I, I think it's best to, to just be a supporter, and I'm on the board there. Um, that's sort of my level. How are we looking for this year? Better yeah, look, than last year? I'm really confident that this yeah. year's going to... You don't like to use this as a token throwaway line, but we almost needed to have the year that we had last year for people in the club to realise that we need to make some, some wholesale changes. And, and they've done that new coaching staff. It's been great numbers through pre-season. It's, it's as hard as they've trained in an off-season for, for 10 years, probably since a Todd Loudon or a Michael Checker ran the club. It's a really professional outlook but they're a young side and mm. I, I'm expecting them to have a much better year than last year. Was there a dip in culture there do you think? Uh, no I think one of the biggest issues with Ramwick is that they've had such a successful history when things don't go well they want to look back to why what yeah. worked in the past and and that's but it great, didn't but just go badly it no when, when it was bad. horrific like to be honest it, um, but they did still unearth a couple of really good players like Terence mm. Hepatima and Pete Samus some names that you, you'll certainly hear of in the future but I think the fact is when we keep looking backwards and we try and go to what worked for us yesteryear, then we're going to get the same results. The game's changed dramatically, and I think if you look at Ramwick since the game went professional, it's probably been two of our most unsuccessful decades. Right, yeah. You know, we were, we were a side that in the 70s and 80s probably changed the way the game was played, and um, I think we've got to adapt a little bit, still try and play the, a similar style of footy that we always appreciate, similar to what Michael Check is trying to do at the Waratahs. Yeah. There's a way of doing it, but you've just got to train to a certain level and um, you've got to acknowledge that the game's changed and, and I think we're there now but um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty confident that Wade Kelly's in charge now and he's got a good a good um, understanding of how Ramwick played he's played there himself his brother was Brent Kelly the 5'8 for a lot of oh, years yeah, yeah. Uh, he's one of Sean Burns' best mates grew up with, with him and um, yeah so I think he, he knows how Ramwick's meant to be played and I think he's pretty keen to deliver it alright let's hope so Stephen thanks for coming in mate thanks mate there he is so. Stephen Hoyles joining us on the road to recovery from an Achilles problem that's it for episode 164. We'll see you next week on the world's most quoted rugby podcast.